Welcome to Aussie Ambitions Podcast, where we meet with everyday Aussies that are pushing ahead with their goals and ambitions in life. Join your host, Scott Robert Springer, to explore the future of entrepreneurship, work-life balance, and reaching beyond your comfort zone. So stay tuned for some tips on living life the Aussie way. All right, welcome to the Aussie Ambitions Podcast. Once again, we've got two guests for you today. Quite exciting. We fit them into the studio side by side. Um, we've got Belinda and Monica from Pivotal Management. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good, thank you. Excellent. So welcome. I'll get you to do a little introduction, but we're going to talk about the topic of the employment situation in Australia and a little bit about how your company is involved with that in many different ways. So I'll, uh, I'll introduce you and over to you, Belinda. Can you tell us a bit about your, yourself and your company? Uh, myself. Uh, the business I formed, which was Pivotal, five years ago, um, and that was really out of the necessity of uh, quite a few of my uh, friends who are entrepreneurs and have their own businesses and their frustrations around actually trying to employ um, candidates um, within their area and within their skill set. So uh, I took that and my background in hospitality um, and training and uh, looked at an area where I thought I might be able to marry them all together um, and came up with, with, with Pivotal and we predominantly started in hospitality right up until COVID. Wow, okay. So that's a specific industry and then you're looking at essentially the, um, the recruiting and perhaps training within that industry, is that right? Correct. Because a lot of their issues were they'd post a CCAD, get a thousand applicants, no one had really read the ad and then they would go through, spend weeks going through and sourcing through Kansas only to find they might have had one or two they didn't actually have the correct criteria and or experience and then have to either start again or they'd put someone on and they wouldn't last. So they needed someone to help them with recruitment and then potentially upskilling them. Very cool. Okay, so just to re- reiterate, you are the managing director and the founder, essentially? I am. Okay, I am. and you've got Monica with you here today. I do. Hello. How are you, Monica? Good, thanks. Excellent. And how about yourself? A bit about yourself. Um, I've been working in the recruitment industry or oh, about 10 years now. Um, and I was so lucky to be given this opportunity with Pivotal Management, which really just let me grow my my wings, spread them and fly, um, which has been really great. Um, I love helping people into employment. I love the whole training aspect, um, upskilling the candidates and then placing them into an employment with an employer and get the repeat business as well, ideally. Excellent. Okay. Very good. Okay. I guess full disclosure, I, um, I'm actually a client in a sense that you yes. helped uh, place some staff with our company, yeah. and it's been a really positive experience. Great. So, um, yeah, we could definitely uh, touch on some of those things uh, as it relates. But I guess to put the scope of the discussion, we've got an audience that's probably primarily overseas, people that are curious about Australia, how things yeah. work here. Obviously, it's been a difficult year and beyond a year. Uh, people have had to ad- adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just on the, on, uh, there's a curiosity about the employment situation and how difficult it is to get a job these days. Um, is the, What's your feeling on word on the street? Is Are people hiring? There's a lot of, to be honest, it's the it's a, it's a biased market for um, a candidates or anyone who is looking for, for work. So I would say at the moment, although they say unemployment is high, our biggest issue for us is actually finding candidates for all the vacancies that we have for all of our employers. So they're screaming for staff. And that's both casual, part-time and full-time across a range of different industries. So right. that, that, that's the biggest thing. And we've only today picked up another couple of hundred vacancies. So for us, we keep screaming, we need people. What? And that's been the hardest thing because we don't have, we don't have the same population because we had so many people come through on visas, um, foreign students, et cetera, that just aren't here. 
And a lot of our employees now who may have had a workforce that made up a percentage from um, that particular cohort, they're not around. So Mm. now they're desperate for staff. Right. Interesting. And and it's probably changes week by week, um, but you generally feel as it's on the massive upside. Very much so. I mean, there were certain industries through COVID that thrived. Um, And certainly for us, we started in hospitality through COVID. We were unsure whether we were going to make it or not because hospitality obviously was one of those key industries that um, took a big hit. However, as we kind of regrouped, um, we decided to diversify and we went into individual support. So aged care was was an area that didn't suffer at all. Uh, warehousing. I mean, Coles, Woolies, Audi were going crazy. Uh, That was like Christmas Day every day of the week through COVID. So warehousing for them was huge. Um, And security was another area that that increased dramatically. So there were these key industries that while many industries were were suffering, there were key industries that weren't. And hospitality for us, for say housekeeping, we were able to divert housekeeping into aged care facilities. So we were able to then take those skills being taught for a hotel and move them into um, aged care facilities. Mm-hmm. So in the end, it ended up being um, skills that you could kind of diversify and move into other industries. But most importantly, there were some big increases in in, in industries through the COVID period. So it's great. It's amazing. It's an amazing time, and that's obviously so traumatic. No one saw it coming. But um, you know, we're talking about shifting professions. Where I think I saw. I mean, the media does a job of promoting that, but. I think it was like pilots, so quant- uh, pilots weren't flying, and then actually placed them in roles that were supermarkets. Yeah, so, we're yeah. Talking, right. Uh, hospitality. Hospitality. Hospitality has been a big one that has, and when I say hospitality, as hospitality has to survive, they've looked at how do I now at the moment employ people, um, and uh, the airlines have been a, a key area. So they've been employing people. Crown has done incredibly well in Sydney. They've got a lot of corner staff working for them at the moment in food and beverage because they've got great customer service engagement. So mm-hmm. why not diversify and why not move people into a, a different industry or at least have a different option while obviously the airlines are trying to recover? Yeah. And that you find that, that, that that's a lot at the moment. No, just imagine, It's obviously so disruptive, but then just to, to see how, you know, there was an attempt at least. Not It wasn't sort of like, well, we'll just sit out for a year or two or three and then we'll try to pick it back up. We're, I'm not sure how it's working in different other countries, but um, it was almost like a, well, it's probably just a good thing to be active uh, and not just sitting on the sidelines. Uh, Is that, uh, maybe this might be a question for for Monica, but is there something about um, just uh, not being out of the job market in a sense, like it's, it has other effects? um, Oh, absolutely. Being out of the job market, mental health um, plays a big part in it, I think. Um, You know, with our pre-employment programs, you've got candidates all of a sudden getting up, attending every day, engaging, um, they've got a purpose and you see the change in them and then at the end of it they get a job. So, yeah, it's just a, it's a good And I think there's process. a lot, yeah, there is. I think there's a lot of people that, I know for me, um, I was on a flight and I was travelling every week. So to find myself at home mm. and working from home and I'd have, my, you know, my team, some people based in Sydney coming to work for me, yeah. it was still a different mindset and it took a long time for me to get through that, you know, I'm still, the business is surviving, mm. but I'm working from home. And it was, a, it was a completely different shift. So I can only imagine with people that all of a sudden found themselves without work and financial strain, how that would mentally then shift where they were at. So what was great was being able to take those because they want to work. Mm. They didn't ask not to work. But what do I do next? 
and I don't have the skills necessarily to um, transfer straight into a different industry. But what was great was I think a lot of industries embrace, well, we don't care if you don't have the skill. What can we do if you've got the right attitude and you're passionate? What can we do to, you know, bring you on board? And that's what, that's what actually what you saw in Australia and that's what was wonderful. People, okay, you, can't, you come from this area, you don't have any skills, we'll, we'll upskill you. We'll put you in. If you want to work, we've got jobs for you. And that at the end of the day is the key. Most mm. employees say to us, you want to work, we'll upskill you. And that's what Pivotal is all about. Yeah. We've got the employees with the vacancies, we'll get you a job. Yeah. We just need to upskill you. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm a I'm a numbers guy. I like to have a good grasp of you know like the bigger picture, and uh, I must say I don't know exactly how um, how to lay this out exactly, but I can imagine there's a certain number of people out of work out of the job market. Um, there's like the long term unemployed, and then there's sort of like a middle section, and then there's people that are just actively looking for work and happiness. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the in the ecosystem of things, are there a lot of uh, recruitment and training organizations similar to yourselves? Or is it more of a, it, yeah, I'm just interested in, in the ecosystem of that. Are there a lot of people doing the same thing? And then it's just a bit of a race to see who gets in front. I think our point of difference is that we've got vacancies at the end of our programs. And also I'm there to mentor them through um, up to six months. Um, and that makes a big difference. Hmm. Yeah. The, you've got, I, I guess if you look at what Pivotal does, um, there's the aspect is we recruit, so we've got employers and we recruit um, for the vacancies that they have. How do we recruit? We go out to market both through social media but also through job agencies, mm -hmm. which then have that outreach to your long-term unemployed or those that may have just found themselves um, without a job. It might be the DES market, return to work mums, whatever the case may be. And then we reach out to training organisations, so that's another, um, uh, I guess, partner. And so what we've managed to do is that we need the training. That's the registered training organisation. We need the candidates. That's through our job agencies. And we need the employers. And we bring all of those parties to the table and we build. We, we're the one, I guess, is the glue. Yeah. So we bring everyone to the table and we basically go, you need the jobs. Let's. What are the, what's the criteria? Well, I'll help you build that training program. Now give us the candidates and we'll work with the candidates on a number of levels, behavioural skills, whatever. We'll work with them and that's the mentoring that Monica was talking about. So we're on this journey with these people where we're taking, introducing them to employees they would never have met, giving them skills and qualifications they may never have thought they might have been able to achieve mm. and on this journey to ultimately get them a job. And it's a pathway and not everyone makes it, but for the most part, if they're in there for the right reasons, they do. So for us, it's about bringing all parties to a table there's no one in Australia at the moment that brings all those parties. You've got RTOs that will try and do recruitment. Mm -hmm. So training, when I say RTO, registered training organisations, they will try and do a part of, of the recruitment, but that's not their main aim. It's, it, it's training. With us, we kind of sit on the sidelines and we bring everyone to the table. So we respect everyone's expertise. Everyone has their expertise, but we bring everyone to the table and then we manage it. Mm. And that's the, that's the part that we do. There's one or two companies out there that, that do it, but I'd like to say I think we do it best, yeah. <laughs> oh, we do. <laughs> to, be, to be perfectly honest. You know, we've, we've been voted for New South Wales Small Business this year. Um, we're working with government um, in every state, um, and our results speak for themselves. So at the end of the day for us, everyone has a, has a way of measuring their success, and RTOs need outcomes as far as do people finish training, 
the employers want outcomes as far as have these people transition into long sustainable jobs with us and we're happy with them. Mm. For us, we we need everyone to reach their outcomes. But for us, it is did, did we get everyone a job and are they happy in the job they got? And for us, at the end of last year, uh, from October to the end of the year, we got 100% conversion mm-hmm. out of every single pre-employment or candidate we took on, we put into a job. And for us, that's what we stand by. So it's developing people, changing lives is our, is our motto. Um, motto. And that's what we do. And that's what we love. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I'm actually just fascinated in the, if you want to call it a business model, I mean, you're certainly um, helping people in an important you know, part of their life. And just, uh, I can imagine the, the appreciation for somebody that's gone through and then like, you help them get there and all those things come back, you know, confidence, skill, um, yeah. and probably they could attribute it to that point, right? Um, did that, does that often come back to you and uh, some feedback or like, I mean, do you, is it the type of thing they spread their wings and they're gone <laughs> or uh, do you find them come back to you and say, look, I really appreciate that? Yeah, we see both, I think. <laughs> we get testimonials from candidates that are more than happy to um, share their experience and really want everybody to know. Then we've got some candidates that probably don't want to know us after it's their new life now. Um, yeah, if they've come from long-term unemployed, sometimes it's, you got me a job and I'm very grateful, but you were my past and now this is my future. Mm. What I do love, though, is we've had many candidates that we've been on the journey with and we've got them into employment, then they've become a supervisor, then they've oh, become yeah. a manager, Absolutely. and they pick up the phone mm. and they go, I'm now employing, can you now please get us candidates? <laughs> so I, I must say our Pivotal hasn't advertised as such, has been pure word of mouth um, through our different partners mm. um, to how we've grown to be a national company, so which is fantastic. So yes, the answer is yes. Uh, it does come back to us. Yeah, oh, I, I just tenfold. think it's um, yeah. a lot of things we we try to tie in the theme of uh, ambition and what people are working on. But then part of that is just you know celebrating the win and having that sense of like I put in a hard day here and yeah. the payoff is there. So I've always said I think everybody's employable. It's just about finding the right job for that person. Job always. matching. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right, that's exactly it. Right yeah. candidate, right employer. And that, that moniker is exceptionally good at. Well, that's one of the ones I was I was actually just curious about as ourselves being an employer. You always wonder, well, are we an employer of choice or are we like number 100 on the list where it'll be difficult to attract the talent? And um, Do you screen employers? Is, that, is there some a checklist where they need to have a certain history or so on? Um. Public screening employers. I, I guess we we definitely we've turned employers away, and I think sometimes in our market, if they're purely about the wage subsidy that the government can possibly give them by choosing certain candidates, that is a bit of a red flag to us. I always say if you can get incentives and to assist, because all small business or even large businesses need incentives. So there's no question about that. But if they're choosing, I'll take this person for the dollar value on their head and less about the fit culturally or the skills required, that can sometimes, sometimes become problematic. Mm. But for the most part, our employers love taking our candidates. But, and I guess it works for the, the employer as well because there's nothing wrong about the dollar figure, but if you're just taking someone and they're not the right fit at all, well, that's d- detrimental to your own business mm. because they're not going to last. Mm. But if, they, if you take them and they've got money, fantastic. That's, that's the way to go. And most of our candidates do have a wage subsidy attached and our employers do extremely well but the candidate does too because the culture is great and I mean your facility here is incredible I would love coming to work here every day (laughs) you do but you create it's a great space it's a great culture Mm. and you know I know the candidates we've placed here 
have loved working here. Mm-hmm. So that says a lot. If you've got this environment where they're churning through staff, they're not lasting very long at all, it might be a week or two weeks, mm-hmm. that raises a red flag for us. But otherwise, I mean, we've been fortunate. We've walked away from one or two employers, but generally speaking, you get a good feel about someone or a company when you meet them. Mm-hmm. And if they're passionate and they love what they do, and you meet people that work within the environment, then you generally find you can match candidates. And that's where Monica's great. She will get a good feel and then match the appropriate candidates to the culture and the skill that's being asked. And then the bonus is if they've got subsidies attached. And for me, it's no different. I I recruit exactly the same way. So everyone that works within Pivotal have either come through the job active process, so they've been a candidate that we've employed, or they've got the background. So... So we live and breathe what we do. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate you sharing that. That's, that's certainly interesting to see the almost like behind the scenes of what, you know, y- you can understand the matchmaking, but then it's like that personal experience. And y- it's sort of what's going on upstairs. Like you've got a bit of a gut feel. I, yeah, I'm gut instinct going. You? <laughs> I, 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 you do. You, you know whether, whether someone's genuine. And yeah. I think that's really, that, that's the key. And some of the candidates that we've had have, uh, have been broken in life. Or they've had terrible experiences under employment, one way or another. So it's rebuilding their, you know, their confidence, confidence and their faith, both in themselves, but also in the fact you can actually find a job that you love. Mm. I mean, at the end of it, we spend a lot of time at work. So if you don't really like what you do, it's really hard to keep motivating yourself to get up and go to work every day. Right. So mm. we part of what we do is try and say to them, you know, your first job that you might be doing might not be the one you absolutely love, but it can go towards if you're working, it's so much better for your mental health and your confidence to then eventually reach out and get the, the you know the dream job, so to speak. I mean, I don't know, does everyone have a dream job these days? Most people don't retire with the gold watch anymore. <laughs> you might have had four or five different different careers. But it's just having that confidence to to actually branch out and do that if that's what you want. Yeah. No, I think that's that's a very important point that uh, you know, those the changes are very prevalent and uh, as long as both people can be flexible, the employer and I think the hiring expectation, uh, the term is probably a lot less. Like I used to hear two years, employer would say, look, we'll bring them for two years. And if they go on, that's probably okay. Maybe it's shorter than that now. You know, maybe it's less. Uh, yeah, it is. Know, it depends on the expectation. And maybe that's a, a positive if you can just get that out front and say, look, we're happy to place someone. And let's, there's a bit of that upfront investment of an employer's time to train, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and the intention is to keep them. But you know, sometimes you can just meet halfway and say, look, we'll... Come, come, and it's almost like that. Try before you buy, and mm-hmm. on both sides, so, oh. the, so there's an easy out. Absolutely look, right. Um, there is. I know a lot of employers now will say to us, "If we can have," and a lot of these are frontline roles. Though. I mean, executive positions are slightly different, but frontline roles. If we can get six to twelve months, it's gold. It's gold. That that it's, it's gold. gold. And because they've come through a program that we've we've built for them, we've done a lot of the heavy lifting on the training aspect of it beforehand for them. There is some on-the-job training, but that part's been done. The re- headache of the recruitment's been taken out. Mm-hmm. So they'll say six to 12 months maximum. So that's what we say to the candidates. You know, this may not be your ideal job, six to 12 months, but think about where you can progress to, either you know, supervisor or in the likes of, say, a hotel, you can go into other areas. So it's about, I guess, expanding your thought process on where the job might take you, the short term and the long term. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. six to 12 months now is pretty much in a lot of the roles. Okay expectations from the employer for those frontline roles, yeah. definitely. Yeah, that helps the listeners, I think, understand a, a little bit of the context and maybe they can compare that to their own, you know, local standards of uh, terms of employment and, and whatnot. 
I was curious about for Monica, um, your role, is it mobile? Like, do you actually, is it yes. office space or are you out? And I'm on the road, on the often road. on the road, talking to employers, visiting job actives, finding out where the business is. <laughs> okay. And yeah. so like, is it, so five days out of the week, you'd be actually just mobile and... Mobile or um, working off my laptop. Yeah. yeah. What's that like? Is it to feel a bit nomadic um, uh, or do you have oh, a home base? I love it. <laughs> That's the truth. I just we do. call her office, the, uh, the, the car, the office. You, yeah. When we're together, it's it just doesn't stop. Yeah. But that's how we roll, and that's um, and we bring we bring the results. So um, on the road, on the on the phone, chasing business, chasing candidates, doesn't stop. Yeah, yep. just keep it rolling. What's What's cool about that is you've probably seen a few things out there. Um, are you meeting employers like in their in their sort of their office, or is it sort of third party locations like a cafe or a oh, restaurant? Well, or sometimes it is the the restaurant or a Zoom meeting. Um, other times it is face to face. Yeah, okay. just depends on on the employer. Yeah. Any and, uh, Any interesting. Uh, any places you ended up? I'm just thinking if it was like something specialized in the fishing industry, you might end up in, on a boat somewhere. Or um, well, we did end up on a boat when we went to Corin Cove. That was <laughs> um, an interesting little boat ride. Um, but other than that, oh, it's just so many. Mm. What depends on your PG R rating. <laughs> I'll bring it on. No. Um, yeah, was it actually? Was the boat like actually an? the employment environment or it was just happened to be the space that you were we were meeting? we were training and recruiting on Corin Cove um, so we were taking our candidates from from the marina mm. and we were yeah catching a ferry over to Corin Cove mm. um, where they would do their housekeeping and food and beverage training theory but and then practical they did the boating so again one of those situations where we were over mm. there to recruit for two different roles and then ended up recruiting for all sorts of so uh, the boat drivers that you name it that that particular yeah. recruitment drive turned into deckhand deckhands yeah. everything yeah. so cool. that that became interesting but that again on a resort in a yeah. resort on and an it's island. a beautiful resort yeah oh, that's good actually we might we're going to definitely include some links so people can check that out i'm actually not familiar with current cove is it local to the gold coast or how far off is it yeah it's in um so south portish way Okay. <laughs> yeah, and is it the type of thing? Is it like a remote island, or what is yes. it exactly? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a resort island. I think. Mm. Yeah, we've island. we've been fortunate with Hamilton Island, Hayman Island, like Dream. We've, yeah, we've we've done a lot as far as island recruitment, recruitment. is concerned. Yeah, because they've often contract six months or twelve months, and in particular over COVID, it was a little bit harder. But yeah. um, they want people because it's a different different world living on an island <laughs> because you live and breathe. The, the island and the staff quarters. So everyone, I've did my time and it's, it's it's great for six months and then it's like, get me out of here. Amazing. Yeah, well, that, that paints the picture. There's all sorts of roles. I mean, you'd you'd have seen all walks of life probably. Um, yeah. And then is it sort of, like you said, yeah. there's frontline roles, but there could be executive level as well. Um, is there some main part of your, is there, is there some somewhere in the middle that you are regularly active or is it just all over? We're, we're frontline, so a frontline supervisor. We do a, a few management roles, um, but predominantly it will be your frontline staff. So in mm. hospitality, it might be your food and beverage, your kitchen hands, stewards, housekeeping, um, and then you know, individual support will be your support care workers, uh, both community and facilities, yeah. security guards. So it'll be all those kind of frontline roles and then up to supervisor and then one or two into management. But because it's volume, and that's where for a lot of our employers, 
that's where the headache is. It's getting the volume recruitment where you need 130 room attendants at the last minute, <laughs> that it's very, very difficult for any business to be able to, on that volume, to recruit, yep. screen, train and place when their predominant, their business is to run the operation of a hotel, for example, mm. not to go through that process of having to do such large volume recruitment and then go through the training. So, And that then goes on to the other industries you're in, whether it be warehousing um, or even business admin with, with call centres, et cetera. So it's, that's where we've, I think we've been successful, listening to what the employer wants, being able to build that training um, uh, structure or the training program that sits behind it, thread through kind of the job-ready training and the onboarding. Because for a lot of businesses, in particular now with um, COVID, have had to flatten their structure so they don't have as many uh, bodies available and certainly supervisors or managers to onboard or to train their staff. Mm. So they come to a, a company like ourselves yeah. and we will then hear what they have to what, what look needs at, are. Look yeah. their needs are, recruit, upskill and train them. They get to do a work experience piece, which is good for both. We'll try before you buy mm-hmm. a part. That's good for both the employer mm-hmm. to see the candidate, but also for the candidates to see, is this the employer I want to work for? Is the culture what they said that was going to be? Um, and then obviously go on to, you know, employment. And that's where the mentoring part of the business works very well because they stay in contact with the employer, like yourself, the candidate, and make sure that both parties are happy with with how it's working out. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, as I said, the government has been very good in in trying to incentivise and work with employers um, to assist them because at the end of the day, recruitment and training is expensive and overall um, employment and keeping staff employed for longer terms is expensive. So that's where they've been great in trying to incentivise. Yeah, I, for sure. I think you touched on some points there and, and certainly the government's involvement. Um, if for those that aren't aware, listening in, um, there's a program that was called, uh, well, there's certain variations, but essentially it was JobKeeper, which mm-hmm. was a very well-publicised program across Australia, which was, okay, employers, hang on to your staff, don't panic, don't start laying people off, we'll take care of it in terms of um, basically subsidizing those wages. And uh, I think it went over pretty well. I, I think from like a, uh, I could have foreseen a lot of delays and complexities with it, but they've erred on the side of paying people too much. You know, you get, Which caused its own problems, can right. I tell you. <laughs> so now that's back <laughs> yeah. to you again. Like, again, I don't need to go too deep on COVID, but it's more like there were some pretty significant things that happened. Mm-hmm. And then there was a reactionary and trying to be proactive approach to kind of just say, like, let's just hang on. And I think other countries would say, wow, you guys got through that pretty cleanly. Mm. Now, how big's the bill well, right? and all that? But how did that affect you guys? Did that obviously that people weren't immediately laying people off? Does that mean that it was sort of business as usual for a while? There were industries like a hospitality arm obviously pretty much shut down completely. Mm. And had you had we been having this conversation at the beginning of COVID, you would have found me in the corner rocking with a bottle because <laughs> I was it was devastating for us for that part for that part of the for the business. Mm. But as I said earlier, there were other industries that that grew because of COVID. Yeah. So the job keeper was all about keeping the employees in touch with the employer so they didn't lay anyone off. But by that occurring on those, in those industries that took off, um, it was great because those people just kept working anyway and they were dramatically at like Coles, Woolies, all those warehousing, et cetera. They were recruiting. For industries like hospitality, they were being paid, you had people then being paid sometimes more than they were earning initially 
because it was just a flat fee. So they, they, they had people or employees being paid more money than they initially were earning. So when it came, came time to actually come back and work, mm. they didn't want to. Mm. So it, it then it created a bit of a disconnect rather than a connect between the employer and the employee. Because as employers start to get busy and because we were in lockdown and then we reopened for business as in employers did within Australia, they needed their people to come back. And so many people didn't want to come back. So that's where the, the disconnect was. Um, there is still a little bit of that, but as as JobKeeper has decreased, because we had three tiers, we're in our last period, our last quarter, um, now the money being subsidised isn't as much and people are now coming back to the table to, to work. But it did initially, it was fantastic. And I have to say, it did keep the, I guess, Australia buoyant and certainly employers would have let go of a lot more staff had that safety net not been there. But it had, did create, once we reopened, this situation where some people, not all, but some people didn't want to go back to work. So mm -hmm. you got employers screaming because then they had to put new staff on. Mm -hmm. And then it was an additional cost. So it kind of worked against the employer at that point. Yeah. So, so we're at a very interesting point now where um, they, actually even in the media landscape, they're starting to reintroduce names like, well, it's the temporary job keeper program, whereas that's the first time that's coming back in because they're really saying, look, this was always meant to be just, but you really need to spill it out for people because they've gotten comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'll just mention the, the amounts because if, for people that want to get their head around the business side of things, I think it was about $1,500 per fortnight. So that's every two weeks. So let's say three grand a month. That was the full subsidy. And so that covers you basically for like a frontline staff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think even if you are on a more executive level, it's still the same amount. So that's what you mean by flat rate. And then, um, but they then found an expiry period for that where that came down a bit. It was about 1200 per month yeah. or per fortnight. Mm -hmm. So it's 2400 per month. Um, and then the final phase, I think it's even less, 1000 Yeah, so 1000 per fortnight. Um, so 2000 a month. And um, uh, look, I, is that the right approach? I think that's a nice thing to do to tear it down. And it, people know that it's not going to go on forever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but it's that financial cliff they like to call it. So uh, I, so I look at it and think socially, where would we have been though if if, that, if the government hadn't have done it? Because you know, yes, it's going to be interesting how we pay all this off, and that will be my children and probably their children with, with the debt we've gotten ourselves into, and it is phenomenal. And the longer we shut borders and shut down suburbs, which we have to like the shutting down the suburbs and containing, we have to do the greater the debt becomes. So without doubt, um, we had to do it, but there is going to be a long-term long, long -term, you know, payoff. But um, if we hadn't have done that, then the devastation of people finding themselves without work at all at, and at our mass. So we saw the lines with, with Centrelink anyway. Um, but then people not being able to meet financial um requirements and the mental health the mental health was, has already been and we don't have the mental health bill yet I mean realistically there's been no real statistics on the suicides that have come out of this or anything like that so there's that whole other part that will eventually the numbers will be crunched but mm. um, had there not been in the safety and I, I know even for myself with my business initially I, I was thankful that they had come around and gone okay well let's support small business and well, any size business, but there were criteria around what companies could or couldn't obviously apply for it. But let's support business, keep employees in touch because 
we will get out of it. Now, do I think they thought we were going to take this long to get out of it? No, but none of us knew how long this was going to go on for. And I certainly know at Christmas time, I thought it was pretty much over. And then we had the resurgence in New South Wales. So I'm grateful for it. But yeah, it's going to, I think end of March is great for most of the businesses to to then stand up and, and operate on their own and for the government to target key industries that still haven't been able to recover, which are your tourism, your hospitality yeah. and your airlines for sure. Yeah, excellent. But there's a debt a that's debt, going yeah. to be interesting to have to pay off. Yeah. But you only have to look at the other countries and socially we've, we've done well. Yeah. And it's good that people have been, again, employed during that period of time and hopefully they've all had a chance to think. And I, I don't know if you have thoughts about this, but they, um, people we've talked to are generally aware that they might need to reinvent or reskill or, you know, maybe they weren't happy in the job they had anyway. Yeah. So um, it's, it's not always so it's so clear, but maybe it's just a chance to have a thought in that, in that space. Um, There's been a lot, actually. Yeah. People have gone, okay, I never thought I'd live through a pandemic and now I have. And you know what? Maybe I need to change and look at another industry that regardless, then there were industries that thrived. Maybe I now need to look at going into an industry that I know is going to be certain, steady hours that I can support my family. Mm. And we have. We've had people then go into individual support aged care that, that, really, that have said they wouldn't have even looked at it mm. 12 months ago. A lot of airline, we've got a lot of airline staff that have just decided to walk away. They don't want to do that anymore. It was already a volatile industry mm. for them hours-wise um, and, and pay cuts. But now I can go into an industry where how many hours do you want? 60, 70, whatever, you can get it um, at a good pay. So that did, I think what people may not have been happy about in their, in their previous um, job brought it to the forefront and therefore they then made these decisions. And they are, they're looking at industries, well, foolproof, what 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 jobs can I, can I upskill if I'm going to do this? What job can I take on upskilling that I can possibly see out that's going to give me steady work, steady pay? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, one of the pieces uh, that I was curious about is where education fit, fits into the whole mix of everything. You've got people that are working to earn income, um, but they might have ambition for a, a career path of, in a certain way, and so therefore they're going to school. Does going to school um, conflict with the programs that you offer? Like if someone's in the job looking for a job, can they at some point include study in that scope? Absolutely. So a big part of what we do, so we've got our direct recruitment arm, which which is, is quite simple. Someone's looking for work, they've, they've got the skills, we match them with an employer. There's no training involved. If they want to upskill um, on the job, we can assist them with that as well under, uh, under some type of traineeship. If someone is coming out of school um, and or doesn't have the skills, then the whole point of our, our training is it's aligned to um uh, qualification. Mm -hmm. So when they come through and we recruit them for an employer, we bring the training organisation in who delivers the accredited training. So they'll end up with a Cert 3 in hospitality or warehousing or individual support and disability. But they go through a process where they get to meet an employer, they end up getting trained, um, obtaining a qualification. And sometimes that qualification is required. So in aged care, you need to hold that qualification mm -hmm. just due to the nature and the skills required. And, then, and you're getting a job as well. So we kind of feel like we're a one-stop shop where, mm. where we're taking you on a journey where we're teaching the soft skills, which is the behaviour which you don't need a qualification for. We're imparting that. You're obtaining a qualification, which is accredited and nationally recognised around the country, and then we're placing you into employment. So for a lot of people, they end up with a qualification and, and a, a job, job. Mm. and that's what we do. If they were to go 
to say TAFE and and get the qualification, which they they can do, mm-hmm. then they've got to go out and find their job. But if they come through us, we've already got the employees with the vacancies. Mm-hmm. So we'll help them get the qualification. So we marry it. We get the qualification and the skills first. Marry or job match them up with the employer, and then off they go. And then again, if they want to then upskill into a supervisor's role, well, we can help them do that on the job through um, different formats uh, through a traineeship. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'm, uh, I'm all, I mean, I'm considering this an educational experience for myself to see your the world through your eyes and like you know some of the challenges of the whatever you call it, the industry. <laughs> but um, is there an area that you look for like trends? I don't know if, you, if it, globally there's things you keep an eye out. Have you traveled overseas at all? Oh, a lot up until COVID. <laughs> really? Where, <laughs> yes. where have you been? Where? Well, I lived in the Middle East for a number of years when I was running hotels. I spent time in Beijing, traveling-wise through Europe, the States, um, South America, a lot through Asia. I quite like traveling, <laughs> to be honest, well, both professionally for, for, for work yeah. um, and um, and then just personally. I've got a lot of friends. After living overseas, I've got a lot of friends overseas as well. So um, trends-wise, um, it's more kind of closer to home. Um, and because it's where it is kind of front line, we do look at and we do see a lot of, um, I guess, students come through that will have done like Cert 3 in gaming, for example, mm. or... There, there are qualifications out there that um, great, great qualifications. Just no jobs at the end. Mm. So for us, we look at trends just as far as like it's great to hear about manufacturing. Manufacturing is coming back. Australia is trying to bring manufacturing back here. Call centres. They're talking about call centres went offshore. They're talking about call centres being brought back. Mm. So it's, when you hear things like that, well, we're already doing. We do um, Cert Three business. And we teach call centre, but it's quite a skill to work in, in the call centre. Mm. So we we deliver that that training. So you do, yes, you do. I guess hear those, um, you hear those kind of buzzwords and, and trends, and you think, okay, that's another area for us. But I also look at who, where are the vacancies at the moment? Mm. You talk to your employers, you look at where they're growing, and for us, it's because it's about meeting the needs of those employers at the time. But it is looking at well, what what's coming up and also what industries are dying. So manufacturing was, was pretty much gone and now they're talking about bringing it back on. So that's then something you would look at and go, okay, let's look at trying to build a program, mm-hmm. who are the employees are looking at, and then move forward from there. So yeah, it, there's a part of it, but less overseas and more about what's going on here. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the obvious question would be is there – um, something that's particularly unique about the Australian, um, uh, you know, the employment situation, or like you talked about primary industries and and so on. But I'm just thinking, even um, you get a lot of people that aspire to come live here, and so there's this influx of people, but not so much for the next probably year ahead. So like, it, it, uh, is it dynamic? Like, is it pretty changing? Where well, you got um, immigration, um, you've got city versus regional. You got people that are working long hours that are burning out and lots of different factors but I think um if you if you want to compare the states for example I've got friends that live in the states yeah. who get one week off a year and annual leave so if you look at um employment and opportunity um and over there they still you'll start in a job and a company and pretty much stay with them or if you don't you'll stay within the industry where here it, we do seem to be a lot more versatile mm. a lot more open we, we do seem to support so our infrastructure here, we do seem to support and fund 
uh, people to be able to or subsidise people to be able to upskill and, and move industries. Some employers might say that's not so great, but for the buyer's market, for the, for the individual, that just gives you a lot more opportunity and an ability to, to, to move around. And, and to be honest, when I left school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So to have, to have this idea that I'm going to go in and do something and that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life would, would be mortifying. And I, while I've stayed in, I've started in hospitality, I've kind of gone into the training and recruitment and then back into hospitality, kind of third party. So I just think Australia offers a, a lifestyle, um, a, you know, get in and work hard for the most part, um, but it, it does encourage, you know, to, to train and, and, and work. But qualification isn't necessity, but it's certainly there and, and certainly helps. And I think it's just it's opportunity. You are given a lot more opportunity mm-hmm. here than you are in other countries. That's good. Yeah, the lucky country, they do they do say. They do. And then it's a lifestyle mm-hmm. as, as well. There is a lifestyle. Yeah, I think I know. I'm always fascinated about how that balance between you know lots of government intervention versus sort of free market and just go for it entrepreneur style. Um, but uh, even like the um, the wages, for example, um, again, I'll just spell it out for people that aren't familiar. But they have award wages for certain. Well, it's the, the job. It's tied into how the job description is and your levels of experience. So there's not a lot of room for um, uh, you know negotiation on that. It's sort of a, a national standard, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a, a body that will basically back you up if you're being underpaid or Correct. and so on. So yeah, that, that's an interesting one. Is that um, do you think that's well understood understood by employers in terms of um, compensating correctly? I think um, for, look for the most for the most part um, it is. You do have some employers that um, aren't, aren't always across all the changes that happen. And to be honest, that can be very problematic because it can be quite fast moving um, with certain industries and award changes. Um, I think the buyer, i.e. the candidate or the uh, the, the employee, um, is certainly a lot more um, aware and through um, the internet can certainly very, very quickly work out what they should be being paid. So they're, they're far more knowledgeable in um, their rights. Mm. Um, so for an employer, it's very, very, you need to be very, very mindful of, um, you know, paying, but so you should paying the right amount. But you get what you pay for. And I think when you go and look overseas, uh, I know a lot of my friends will talk about the fact that nothing, well, there are some countries that isn't regulated. So you, they will decide what they want to pay you. Does that work? Yes, it works for some. Um, but not for everyone. So if you work really hard and uh, go over and above, you may get a lot more money than someone who's not willing to do so. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean the product of the work is any better. So that and and that's the thing. But look, I'm um, I'm happy to have, have to be living and working here than than other countries. Indeed, yeah, I think that's absolutely clear. And I think just to reiterate the the compensation structure I was referring to, I'm I'm picturing job descriptions and titles that say you get one year of experience or two or three or four or or five and then even by your age group right. it, it's sort of the salary or the hourly wage is increased in that fashion and uh, it's normally um, in other job markets it might be more a question on what are your achievements and demonstrate that those five years are five years of quality mm. improvement um, and so what the risk is there that employer might uh, look at other options and it's the whole offshoring like you said the overseas call center and uh, how to justify that wage because it ends up bumping up especially for frontline roles and so do you find yourself having to um, educate employers on not the pitfalls but 
um, maybe the trends that people are now um, scaling in Australia because of all these benefits and sort of just helping them celebrate that, yeah, that's the right call. Um, it is. Yeah. Look, I think, I think employees, especially if there's been employees that have had overseas elements to their business and then come here where we are quite regimented in, as you said, there is set rates and either years of experience attached or, or, or a criteria. I think for employees, it, it can be tough. We do have a much higher hourly rate than a lot of other countries. And for some industries, when we work on hospitality, that's hard. If you compare hospitality to the States, where the hourly rate is a lot lower, but they work off tips. Where here, we don't. The hourly rate is a lot higher. And yes, there, there are certain, say, high-end um, restaurants or establishments where tips are still good, but for the most part, our culture isn't tipping, mm. generally speaking. Yeah. But in the States, it is tipping. So when you talk about businesses that may come over here or may have had an arm there and an arm here, they do struggle sometimes with how much we pay our, the staff and how important it is for the super. And, and not only that, it's also the extra benefits that you might create for your employees. I know I know for some of the employees I work with overseas, we will do things, simple things like Christmas parties or celebrating someone's birthday and giving a gift or little things like that is just not something that they would do. But to us, it's part of kind of what you should be doing for your people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of creating the culture. Mm-hmm. That's part of... I want my people to want to work with me as much as I work with them and I want them to love coming to work because then I get the best out of them. And so I think it's it's creating that 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 entire package and sometimes that's lost on, well, I, I pay them, that should be enough for them to do the job. And in essence, you're right, it should be, but it doesn't work that way, not when you're dealing with people. The hardest, the hardest commodity, <laughs> and it is, and it is. <laughs> Absolutely, um, it's going to be neat because I think this part of these conversation threads of these episodes will be almost like a mini job showcase, and um, you know, life is a, and and it's just how low, how far do you go with it? I mean, there's every role is different, and you get team based work and individual work and all sorts of things. I'm curious, uh, so Monica, are you uh, have you seen lots of different types of roles? I mean, there's locations we chatted about, but. Um, types of jobs oh yeah we I mean because we do the direct recruitment and the pre-employment we cross over many various industries from truck driver to to um a dentist uh receptionist to to you name it dancers (laughs) dancers (laughs) whatever it may be we 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 see it all you've seen it all Yeah. Um, yeah and then I guess from a um obviously this time where it was a a little bit uncertain with people hiring and so on, and the shift to work from home. Uh, was it an obvious, um, like, were you allowed to do matchmaking and get get people placed in roles during the work from home period? Would it yes. have been like you're hired, but you're going to be at home yeah. and they're just literally hired on Zoom? Yeah, well, we I have an office at home, so I work from that office as well. Perfect um, example. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so... Sorry, I forgot your question. Oh, it was just mainly to understand, like, if I'm the I'm the employer and yeah. I have a I want to hire someone, but li- literally I couldn't. The government's telling me I can't have people in my office, or it's not a good idea anyway. Um, can I still can I still hire someone? As in, you're hired, but the candidate's at home and they're starting on a work from home situation. Mm. Or did you have to have a? Was it the type of thing where they could only get started with an employer? Um, 
in a, in a setting where it's in a warehouse or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah I think um, through the COVID time, I had a lot of those warehouses jobs that were going, um, individual support. Um, so it was really about sending the resume to the employer, having a conversation on the phone, coming in and starting. And that's how quickly it went. So those were really roles where they were working from, yeah. with their hands. Co- correct. Yeah. So, so while the recruitment aspect of it, we were doing from home, which we found, to be honest, a bit quite, better. We did, but I, for me, I found it problematic. In I, I'm a gut instinct person, so I like right. to see you, and I found Zoom a little bit well, off-putting, yeah. and I like the face-to-face part of That's it. That's true. But the, a lot of the frontline roles, they didn't have to do it from home. They they we would recruit. We were at home recruiting them, but they'd have to go to a workplace. Mm. So because you're talking, you know, food and beverage or housekeeping, etc., their roles were having to go to the workplace. Mm. But I know I recruited for Pivotal and you're ringing someone and saying, but by the way, you're going to work from home. <laughs> Can you take a photo of the room you're in and we'll have to get you set up? But that that was was a, a, a change. But I think for overall, I, I like the balance. I think it's a great way that corporate has gone if it works for the business and it's about getting the right person. So I find a lot of mums that have been stressed, they're having to get up, get the kids ready, and get themselves to an office and then back home. They love going into the office now one day a week, mm. two days a week. So it's that, that blend. Mm. And that I think, so that the blend works for them. But when they're at home, they actually do more hours yeah, because mm-hmm. they're on their laptop mm-hmm. earlier than normal. And they generally will have a quick look when they're at home once they, mm-hmm. they want to put the kids to bed because they've got this home office situation set up. Mm. So I think a lot of employers have found that the working from home has worked very well. They've got a lot of happier employees mm-hmm. as long as you've got the right person mm-hmm. that's disciplined and and loves it and loves the balance that so they can take a phone call while making dinner for example yeah. preparing so their life is the work-life balance there I think is is a lot better for uh, for a lot of people so for us certainly we all I've now everyone's working from home my team at the moment will come in for a couple of days a week to to the office but otherwise it's at home and they love it mm-hmm. so if they're happy and the productivity is there, I have no reason to change it. So, but the roles we recruit because they're very hands-on and they're generally warehouse or a facility. The recruitment part they're done at home, but otherwise they go into the office because yeah. they have to. Yeah, that's so where the job is. Depending on yeah, back the job, to, the back to normal yeah, uh, every day. That's but I will right. say, call center work. Um, a lot of companies through COVID set them up at home. Yep. So we that's recruited true. for. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of call centres um, in, in Sydney and they had the technicians go and set up their area at home and they did everything from home rather than going to obviously a, an area with, um, you know, 20 or 30 people. So, and that worked well for them. So now mm-hmm. they've gotten rid of the space and everyone's doing it from home. Mm-hmm. But some people don't like working from home mm-hmm. and that's one of the first questions you ask if it's a job that is office-based and the employer's looking for someone to work from home. Is that an environment you want to work in? Because depending on your age or, your, or where your life is at, mm. some people like work for the social aspect of it. So working from home for mental health and for productivity just won't be there. Mm. So again, where you are in life, age, stage, makes a big difference. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I think you spelled out earlier. It's just that mental health thing. It just hasn't. We haven't seen the, the true effect of that, and um, mm. it's just good to be keep that in mind. Not just assume that it's all good. No, yeah. uh, no, no, absolutely, and that's um, that's that's a big thing. Checking in and making sure everyone everyone is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
That's neat. Well, we've definitely touched on a lot of different aspects. I mean, certainly the the scope of what you guys are working on. Um, I mean, it's curious. It's very neat to get a sense of yourselves, individuals, um, you know, your different roles, and we're happy to follow your journey. We certainly appreciate uh, being able to have experienced, you know, being a client. We didn't really seek it out, but just through being in touch, and you said, oh, look, you know, I was like, do you have anybody that's got some recording industry experience? Actually, <laughs> and then it sort of it starts, so that can be a neat little. And that's how spark. how good is she? We have these conversations all the time, <laughs> and someone will come up with a random. Do you have know someone, or do you have an employer? I do. I'm thinking, how is it? You, but that's that because she's that's passionate what about what she does. That's so job matching. Just maybe uh, wrapping up more on the on the uh, the tools and tricks, the tricks of the trade type thing. Um, do you guys use technology in your business? Do you use LinkedIn or any of these kind mm-hmm. of like social tools? Mm-hmm. We do. Um, we do. From a marketing perspective, yeah. um, and we're in the middle of upgrading everything at the moment. But yes, social media for us became a big part, in particular through COVID, um, the marketing aspect of it, because we couldn't do the interviews face to face, and mm-hmm. we weren't able to get out in front of our people. So therefore, social media became a big part of it, yeah. which which was great. Yeah, nice. Um, And yeah, and so if people wanted to, I guess, just learn a little bit more about your company, you've got the website. We've got yes, we do. We're on we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, and we've got the website, which is um, getting updated. But we'll be ready soon. It is Um, at pivotalmanagement.com. Yep. So it's look, anyone that. would like to reach out any employers we're more than happy to or candidates mm. yeah yeah I think all can- uh, yes of course <laughs> she's always thinking all That's candidates. It. don't miss out on that um on that, and that might be a bit of a fun place to wrap up is that i guess the, there, there could be some candidates everybody listening in if they're not from australia at least they could take a lot away from being like job ready and just kind of the little things um we talked mm-hmm. earlier about like what's the most probably the most efficient way to to get in, be considered top of the list for a job, you know, it's the, you got to have a good resume and so on. Mm-hmm. There's probably a lot more mental readiness. Like, is there a, a short list of tips that you might give to people to say, look, if you're ready for it, here's what can help. Um, resume, as you said, you'd be incredible the number of people who have the wrong details on a resume. So having the right email address and right, contact details on, yeah. on resume. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, and then we were talking things about some some employers say yes to a photo. Some employers say no to a photo. Um, so there's that. There's the aspect we were discussing about even a video, which is which is an area that some How of our employees have gone into. When, you, when you're talking um, to them. Yeah. yeah. The, that, so if you're just admitting and you want to impact, then that's, that's another way to go. But prior to um, talking to the employer, research, research, research. Mm. For, and it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what level um, the role is. Frontline food and beverage, or the house. director of food and beverage, understand and know your employer, because the one thing that will impress an employer most of all is you having just even the smallest bit of information about the role and actually understanding the role and wanting it, yeah. <laughs> being positive about it. Yeah. No, no employer wants to hear that you don't know anything about them or you've never heard of them. Yeah. Or you don't know anything about the role. Uh, yes, and that does remind me of probably a stereotype out there, but, you know, people have social media that's public. Um, is there a truth to that? Yes. I have people that stalk, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. that's Especially when we're putting candidates forward, if they're going into um, a you know, supervisor or manager's role, you have no idea what people will post. And employers certainly align to big corporations mm-hmm. in particular. There's things that they don't want to see. Yeah. 
Um, and they certainly don't want to see people drunk in their uniforms and all that sort of yeah. thing posted. Yeah, and so we go through settings. all that with them in the programs as well. We do, yeah. we yeah. do. We that's something we teach once they're with us, and we get them to to look at that because it does and can have a long term effect on your opportunities with certain mm-hmm. employers. They'll make a decision on what's sitting on on your social media, and you may not in have posted instant. it. Yeah. Someone else may have posted it, and you were in it. But regardless. It's, it's if that they see that they may decide to interview or not interview or not progress you. Interesting, yeah. And it's better to know that than look, just uh, be blind to it and then mm. wondering why you're not getting the That's call. That's right, exactly. Correct. Uh, Correct. Wonderful. All right, Belinda and Monica, thank you so much for being on. Well, thank um, you. It's been good fun, and I think I definitely learned a lot, and I think a lot of other people would uh, appreciate that. So thank we you. appreciate it. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for your time. All right, all right. We'll keep in touch. Thank you again. Cheers. Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Aussie Ambitions podcast. We appreciate your support and welcome your input. So if there is a topic that you would like to see covered, please let us know via our website, aussieambitions.com or any of our social media accounts. And please subscribe to receive all of our updates. We hope that you picked up some helpful tips helping you to get to where you want to go. And if you've got a story to tell and are able to come for a visit, definitely get in touch.